The reading this morning is Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Hedy, do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or what your body, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we're thinking about taking notice today. And I think sometimes our lives and our minds in particular can become so busy that we no longer make time to stop and take notice of things around us. Uh, you know, we, we become so full to the brim of pressures, you know, things that we've got to do or worries that we've got to worry about. And we are then distracted from everything else because it all gets shut out. And if we carry on like that for too long, uh, we'll usually find that we can't cope. Today we're thinking about stopping and taking notice and how that's actually really good for our well-being. Now, as we've thought about these different things over the past weeks, we've kept going back to God himself and thinking about who he is and, and how that relates to what we're saying. And we've often gone back to Genesis and we can do that here as well. From the beginning of the Bible, it seems that even God himself knows the importance of rest and refreshment and the benefit of actually taking notice of the good things that he sees, that God sees. In other words, even God himself takes in and appreciates his surroundings and the goodness that he sees there. God is not just a doer. He is a doer. He does great things, but he's not, not like a workaholic type of doer. He, he is also a God who rests and who looks, we're told, and who listens and gives us time. In Genesis, when the Lord God had finished his work of creating, it says he rested. And it says the Lord looked, the Lord saw, we might say the Lord took in all that he had made and behold, he saw that it was very good. Now, think about that, what Genesis is saying about God there. One of the first things the Bible wants us to know is that God makes time to pause 
and to rest from busyness and to look and take in and enjoy the goodness around him. Uh, seeing that goodness, God seeing the goodness of his creation is described like a blessing to him. He saw it and it was really good to see what he had made. It brought him a refreshment, we might say. And of course, that's why he then told us to rest and be refreshed too. Elsewhere in the Bible, we, we quite often read about God taking pleasure in the things he sees or the things he hears, even sometimes the things he smells. It's, of course, that's sort of putting it in human speech. But the point is, uh, it's, it's making a point that God actually is blessed by taking in and receiving and seeing uh, things as well as giving. So when we read the Bible, we don't just get the picture of, of a God who's restless and nonstop, constantly on the go, restless in his life. No, we see a God who also knows the benefit of slowing down and of seeing and experiencing the goodness of everything around him. And he tells us we need that too. So when Exodus 31 describes God's rest, it says this, on the seventh day, God rested and was refreshed. Now that word refreshed in Exodus 31 is the verb form of the word soul or life. And it kind of means to become oneself or to recover the true essence of your life. So it's, it's almost like Exodus was saying there, God rested and became who he is. Now, of course, that might sound a bit strange, but the point it's making is this. God's works are, of course, many and wonderful and great, of course. But God would not be God's true self if he didn't also stop and rest and take notice and enjoy all the things he has made and done. That is actually an important and wonderful part of God's self. He rested and in that rest became all the more who he really is as God. So the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament was not just about stopping and having a break, as important as that is. Uh, it wasn't just have a Sabbath because you'll get a bit tired otherwise. It was actually, Sabbath in the Old Testament was about creating time and space and awareness in order for us to focus on what life really is about, what it should be and who we are and what our lives are to be about. It was, Sabbath was about coming away from everything else that fills our time and fills our energy and fills our minds and recovering again the sense of who we really are as God's children. The story is told, you may have heard it before, the story is told of some European missionaries in Africa who hired a group of local villagers as guides to help take them and their things into new territory. And after, after the first day of traveling, the missionaries felt they were going a bit too slow. Um, and so they pushed the guides to, to go a bit faster, pick up the pace on the second day, which they did. Uh, the following day, they pushed them even further and to go even faster and quicker. And so on that third day, they actually made twice as much progress as they had done before. And around the campfire that night, the missionaries talked about how pleased they were about the progress that they had made because they'd, they'd sped things up a bit. But the following morning, uh, the village guides refused to get up and continue. 
And when the missionaries asked them what was wrong, the villagers said, we cannot go any further today. And the missionary said, why not? You, everyone, you know, we've made really good progress. You're all, you look well, no one's ill. And the villagers replied, yes, but we went so quickly yesterday that today we must wait for our souls to catch up with us. Sometimes we need to wait and just have a pause so that our souls can kind of catch up with us because life has just become so full of things. Now, one thing that pausing to take notice helps with is managing anxiety and worry. Uh, I, I, one of the problems with worry and anxiety, and I'm a person who <laughs> gets a bit anxious and worries about things, but, and this is so true of me, one of the problems with worry and anxiety um, is that, uh, it, it, well, I mean, obviously it takes over, uh, and, and the anxiety means we, we don't notice anything, anything else, and we kind of get trapped within that, almost like a prison in our anxiety. And the thing about anxiety, I find, is that our minds end up living almost entirely either in the past or in the future. So that we're no longer actually in our minds living in the present. So perhaps, for example, perhaps your mind becomes so filled with some past hurt or past regret that you, know, you just keep going over it and over it and over it in your mind. And even though we're here physically here now, mentally, we're not living here now. We're actually living in the past. We're existing back there in our heads. Or perhaps it's the other way, perhaps, and this is me, <laughs> perhaps in our minds, we spend a huge amount of time in an imagined and worried about future, <laughs> pondering what might happen. And so our minds exist almost entirely perhaps in our fears for the future. We, we're here physically, but we're living mentally there. Instead of in the present, we're living there in the future. And as a result, we, we no longer engage as well as we can with what's actually happening now in reality, let alone enjoy what's happening now in reality, because all our mental energy is struggling in a future that hasn't even happened. There's a quote, uh, and it's not quite sure who first said this, but it, it's, it's so helpful, I think. Somebody once said, I am an old man and, ha and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. <laughs> now, when Jesus spoke about this kind of thing, about worry and anxiety, as we, as we read earlier, Jesus encouraged us, well, he said various things. He said, concentrate on today, take one day at a time, and he also encouraged us to take a minute to focus, to take notice of other things that you can see around you in the present and to take them in, look at them, take them in and let them give you a better perspective. So that famous passage we read in Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not get over anxious about things in life. Look at the birds of the air. Just have, I mean, just pause there. He, says, he actually said, look at them, look at them. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not even more valuable than them? And then he said, see the flowers, see them. Look at those flowers in the fields and how they grow each year. They don't labor or spin. 
Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, he said, which is here today, tomorrow you throw it into the fire for fuel. Well, then how much more will God clothe you? So Jesus says to us there, our theme, he says, look, notice something other than those things you're worrying about. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, he says, look at the wonder of God's grace all around you and remember that his grace is all the more true for you. Now he goes on to say, look at something else. He says, look first, seek first God's kingdom and God's justice or righteousness. In other words, there again, he's saying, look, notice something else. Keep your eyes open, he says there, for what God is doing. The kingdom of God, the reign of God. Uh, keep your eyes open for where God is working and how he's working and, and where God is evident around you. That's seeking God's kingdom. See what God is restoring and healing and doing and blessing. Focus on those things first. And then the other things that you worry, worry about, which may well be important things, yes, but they will kind of find a better place because you remember that God is there looking after you and at work around you and through you. So he says things like, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. In other words, don't, what I was just talking about, don't spend too much mental energy living in a worried about future. Jesus says, look, take each day at a time, instead of rushing ahead always into a future that might not be as scary as you think it's gonna be. Probably won't be. So Jesus there just very practically encourages us when your anxiety levels are rising and, and they're getting too much to manage. Open your eyes, he says. Take notice and look around you. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at them now and take in what you see in the present. And remember that God is present now in a, in a myriad ways present every moment of every day. And put your mind there, Jesus says for a moment, with him and his kingdom and his righteousness, and those other things will fit into place much better. A couple of times recently, we've thought about the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19. In fact, I think this will be the third time we've thought about it. Uh, we think, we're thinking about that passage recently because Elijah was really struggling to cope because of the pressures that were on him and pressures against him. Elijah was frustrated, he was tired, he was afraid, he was despondent about the way things were. Elijah was consumed with the weight of his own ministry, uh, with a feeling of failure that he expresses the, the th and the threats of those who actually wanted to kill him. The weight of so much was on Elijah's shoulders and the anxieties just kept seemed to keep piling up on him. And he wondered how he could go on. In fact, he says to God, he says, it's enough, Lord. He's, he's basically saying, I can't do this anymore. And the first thing that Elijah needed to do um, was go to a quiet place and rest. Remember, Laurie spoke about him going to that brook and just resting there and being fed and, and, and drinking from the book. 
And remember, Jesus himself actually had to do that as well in his life when he, because of the pressures he faced. He, we're often told in the Gospels he would go aside and just sit in a quiet place and pray. But back in 1 Kings 19 again, God showed Elijah something next. Uh, we're told that Elijah went to Mount Horeb and God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord because the Lord's going to pass by. And then it says this, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind, it says. After the wind, it says there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire, it says, came a gentle whisper. And in fact, it can be translated, there was a still silence. And it says, when Elijah heard this, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave because the Lord was in the whisper. He was in the quiet. And from it, he then spoke to Elijah, God did, and told Elijah what the next step that he could manage would be. Told him what to do next. But the point I want to make is this. At that time in Elijah's life, God was not in the hurricane or the earthquake or the raging fire. At that point, what Elijah needed to know was that God was there in the whisper, in the quiet. And it's from that that God spoke and Elijah heard him. And I think for us too, you know, it's great the big and exciting things God sometimes does for us. And they are wonderful and we need them and they thrill us. But we also need to stop and rest and take in what we see around us. Because sometimes all we can hear is the noise. The noise around us perhaps, or the noise of the pressures that we feel. Perhaps the noise of everything just going round and round over and over in our heads. And, and at those times what we really need to do like Elijah, is come away from the noise and take notice of something quiet so that there in the stillness we can hear God's voice, in the silence perhaps, there in that whisper of things that are not the noise, not the pressures, the quiet things we can notice. And perhaps too, like him, like Elijah, we'll discover that it's there that actually we can hear God's voice again. And we remember God is present there. And then, like Elijah, we'll be able to take the next step. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. God doesn't expect you to do everything. He doesn't expect you, you don't need to feel guilty about having a rest. Even God rested. In Matthew 11, Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I was thinking about that recently, you know, the yoke that they put on the cattle. I don't know, maybe Jesus meant he would be beside us on the yoke. Maybe you've already, always thought of that. I've never thought of it like that. Maybe it's that Jesus is next to us, he's saying, you know, my yoke, come beside me and take my yoke upon you walk beside me learn from me he says for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light
Now we've got three challenges that we've been given, but I want to just say one extra thing first. There will be some people for whom it's extremely hard for them to make time to rest. People who've got so many pressures, so many worries, uh, many of them very genuine worries. There'll be some people who are full-time caring for people they love. And for them, it's extremely difficult, nigh on impossible to get a break. Not because they don't want one, but because they just can't. And one thing that was just on my mind this morning on my way here was for those of us who can make time, keep your eye open for people who are struggling like that, for whom life is actually so pressurized that they can hardly take a break even though they'd love to. Maybe you can do something to help them. Maybe we as a church, there's something we can do to give them a bit of a break, a bit of a breather now and then so that they can have some rest and refreshment. So that's a an extra challenge for us. But these are the three that uh, the video gave us. Write down three things each day that you are thankful for and praise God for them. Write them down on a post-it note, it suggests. Put them in a jar. I know there are others who do a similar thing where they take one photo every day of something that they notice. And instead of just forgetting it and then it's gone, take a photo of it and look back at that photo. Maybe it's something you walk past that just Look at the colour in that leaf or whatever it is. Take a photo. Secondly, spend some time in silence. Just taking notice of what God's saying to you. Taking notice of how you're feeling and write down those thoughts. You know, it's very therapeutic. Uh, mental health workers know this sometimes. Journaling, writing things down can be really helpful for us. And thirdly, we were going to do this, but... <laughs> We'll do it another day. Head out on a walk. You can still do it this week. We have got a bit of thunder and lightning forecast this week. But if you get a chance with an umbrella, head out on a walk. And again, take some photos as you, as you go that make you appreciate God's creation.